You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. In the wake of the 2016 elections, more and more people are thinking carefully, or less carefully, uh, about our fundamental assumptions of about government and society. Uh, in his book, Christ and the Kingdoms of Men, an example of careful thinking about the subject, David Innes writes... Politics fundamentally shapes how we see ourselves, one another, our way of life, things divine and things earthly. Every political theory presupposes a theory of human nature, how we live with one another another and in a civic community, and how we organize that community reflect how we understand ourselves. Are we fundamentally autonomous individuals or equal agents of God's authority, or simply subjects of divine rule mediated by a few who rule by divine right? Are we sovereigns, vice-regents, subjects, or slaves? Or are we just sophisticated animals and an amoral struggle for self-preservation, collectively only a meaningless spark within a lightning flash in the long, violent storm of cosmic history. My name is Coyle Neal, and I am an associate professor of political science at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. Joining me today to answer these questions is Dr. David Innes, professor of politics and chairman of the program in politics, philosophy, and economics at the King's College in New York City. He's an ordained minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and lives on Long Island, New York, with his wife and four children. And uh, you you told me to uh, to drop this joke and see if anyone catches it at the beginning, and I'm afraid I didn't catch it. Uh, you were raised our RC, is that right? I am RC. You I are RC. Raised Canadian. Raised Canadian. There we go. Um, uh, despite growing up on the Canadian border, most Canadian humor still just passes right by me. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Ennis. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Uh, well, I want to I want to uh, pitch you a softball here here at the beginning. Um, Let's uh, let's start with the question of whether Christians ought to bother studying politics at all. You you say right off the bat in the book, and then you, you actually come back to this at the end. Uh, politics is something anyone can do, uh, Christian, non-Christian, whatever. So so why shouldn't we just let non-Christians do the heavy lifting here, uh, and and say, look, this is this is the same as you know engineering, right? It doesn't matter if it's a Christian or non-Christian designing your building. Uh, why not just let non-Christians have the uh, the, the field in uh, political theory as well? Well, it's not just something anyone can do, it's something we all do inescapably, because everyone lives under a government of some sort. Everyone lives together with other people in a political context. And unless you're slaves of some sort of despot, you are fellow citizens with one another, which means you have the opportunity, but also the moral responsibility to take a hand in your own self-government. So uh, that can be done well or it can be done poorly. It can be done justly or unjustly. And given that God made the heavens and the earth and established government as part of that that blessing of order, we all have a responsibility to know what God wants for government and what sort of life that he wants for us partly aided by government. What What is human flourishing and what is the role of political life in that flourishing or or in support of that flourishing these are questions we have to have to answer because we're going to act on either the truth or a falsehood so so do christians have a special insight into answering those questions that non-christians lack well sure uh, if if um if government is god's instrument for our good that we use for God's purposes, then only Christians can know what that is. I mean, there, there's, there's knowledge that comes just by natural law, just by, by common sense. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to know that government is good to protect us in our lives and property. But beyond that, uh, the better you know God, the mind of God, the purposes of God, and how God created us and for what he created us individually and together, uh, the better you're going to be at discerning what what government is for, how it properly functions, to what end it properly functions. So Christians uh, Christians are uh, uh, best positioned, let me put it that way, best positioned to understand that. So we can be a greater blessing to our neighbors uh, politically 
as fellow citizens, as neighbors, by being involved knowledgeably in politics in our in our civic life together. So let me let me ask the other side of that question then: uh, Is it is it possible at all for non Christians to properly understand and properly engage in government political activities? If by properly you mean fully, then no. Uh, if by properly you mean uh, profitably, um, then then yes. Uh, I mean, Augustine in, in the City of God talks about the kingdom of the city of God and the city of man, and they have different loves, they have different ends, uh, they they view politics in different ways, and yet at the same time there is a common life possible. They all want certain. They all want peace, for example, understood in a, in a certain way. They all want safe streets, clean water, clean air, um, uh, secure borders, and and so forth and so on. And so there is a there is a, uh, an, a there is an agreement that is possible and a common life that is possible between these two cities. And even uh, because of general revelation, because of God's uh, the way God reveals Himself through natural reason, uh, the the reflection of reason upon the world that is there around us, uh, intelligent non Christians, commonsensical non Christians. Can see even the value of 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 certain moral protections, a, a, a moral life of a certain sort, uh, even uh, the value of of certain uh, religious liberty uh, that everyone can enjoy. You don't have to be a Christian to uh, appreciate these things, and people of goodwill can. Uh, can discuss these things with one another and arrive at common conclusions. And of course, we've seen this over the years, even even today, where there doesn't seem to be much agreement about much. So if, if Christians have sort of the best understanding, uh, you know, of, of government rightly understood, of, of its fullest potential to, to be good, uh, does that then does it then follow that governments uh, outside of historically Christian nations or governments which uh, either predate Christianity or, or have limited or no contact with Christianity uh, are of necessity bad governments? Uh, and I think based on just what you just said, the answer would seem to be no. But I, I want to give you a chance to respond uh, anyway. Yes, two things. Uh, you said Christians have the – you started off by saying uh, – I can see I would lead you – to understand this, Christians have the best understanding. There are non-Christians who understand healthy politics a lot better than many Christians, because being a Christian doesn't guarantee you understand even your own faith properly. This is why we write books on the subject, right? Sure. To help the church understand themselves uh, uh, and their theology better. So uh, there are Christians who uh, may be uh, highly misled by secular ideologies of one sort or another or, 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 or prevailing passions of one sort or another. So there's that. Um, but uh, you look back at, uh, uh, well, read Aristotle. Aristotle, brilliant pagan, had a, uh, a very sound and sensible view of politics um, advocating, a, a, you know, the best practical regime is a is a, a, a democratic regime, which he said was a an unjust regime, one of the three unjust regimes, uh, deviant regimes. And yet, uh, when when a large middle class dominates in that, uh, you get something approximating the common good. Yeah, this is good. We can learn a lot from this. Um, at the same time, the the Greeks the the Greeks had no place for love in their understanding of the world. Uh, eros, uh, yes, but but caritas, uh, no. Uh, there is there is a, a value of the individual as as infinitely valuable that they didn't understand. The gospel brought that. The gospel really brought something to pagan society. But pagan society wasn't utterly bereft of nobility, for example. Of, of noble sacrifice, um, uh, an, uh, an aiming at uh, uh, the good, the true, and the beautiful, um, which uh, from which we can learn a great deal. So it's not. I, it'd be nice if it was as simple as that, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, uh, I I would 
I would be a little hesitant uh, to start thinking that I was the only repository of wisdom. Um, yeah, I mean one of the one of the themes in my book and in my classes is that uh, things are often, if not always, more complicated than you think. And when you think things are simple, you're wrong, <laughs> and you need to sober <laughs> up and study more. And that um, because things in this world. Uh, food, um, uh, prosperity. In the book, I talk about prosperity. God wants prosperity for us, right? He brings Israel into a land flowing of, with milk and honey, uh, fat cows and fertile fields. Prosperity is good. At the same time, he said, but watch out, you're not corrupted by it. It's dangerous. It's good, but dangerous. It's complicated. And government itself, uh, God gives it to us for our good. It's good, but it's dangerous. It holds out the possibility of of um, this side of the Lord's return, idolatry. So there, every good thing is a source also of seduction. So, and this is something you find in the book, and that I teach my students because I want them sober and wise. You look at you look in the if I may ramble on, sure. uh, in in the book of. Uh, of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the wisdom literature in the Bible, it doesn't just give you black and white laws. There, there's, there's, there's some questions are wisdom questions, and uh, and it takes prudence to discern what the truth. There really is a truth, but it takes prudence, experience, maturity, sobriety, uh, to to discern what what the how the truth applies in this particular situation, which is complex. And this is what I try to bring out in the book. Well, and, and I think that's a good point uh, to, to ask uh, sort of the big picture uh, thesis of your book. Can you, can you tell us what politics is uh, and, and where it fits in with the, the traditional, you know, creation, fall, redemption uh, schema? You know, summarize your book for us in, in a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, the uh, politics is, first of all, a shared life. It's, uh, it's a shared life of ruling and being ruled in turn among equals for the common good. So we're not just individuals in a state of nature running around seeking our self-good, our, our, our selfish advantage. There is a common life that we share, the life of a community. Uh, we are all born into a common life. Everyone who comes into this world comes into the world physically attached to another person and utterly dependent on her. Two people come together to make your life. And everyone is, properly speaking, unless you're Mowgli, uh, born into uh, a family, which is a small community. And that family is part of a larger community. So politics is, is that civic life, that larger community life. And that community, therefore, has a common good. It is a good thing, so it has a common good. And politics is about um, that m mutual self-government with a view to the common good. Uh, mutual self-government as opposed to um, living under uh, living under a despot, living under a zookeeper, uh, living under under a uh, well under your parents. That's not mutual self-government. You're a child. They have tutelage over you. but eventually you grow into your liberty and and then life is is mutual self-government. So this is this is what political life is, properly speaking. So a slave on a plantation, not political life. That's an economic life. A a um, a, a a subject of a despot, North Korea. There are no citizens in North Korea. There is no political life in North Korea. It's master-slave relationship. I uh, I I want I want to get back to this. Um... Because I, I actually have a, a little bit of pushback from your your chapter on republicanism, uh, and I'm I, I think it's pushback from me as a as a small R Republican. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, but before before we get to that, so uh, why? So if if politics is in a sense the ideal, right? There, there's no politics uh, if you're a slave. There's no politics if you're you know living in North Korea. Um, clearly. 
in a sense, there's still politics there, right? Uh, the, the law presumably uh, uh, encodes slavery in some sense in nations that have it. Uh, if you are uh, living in North Korea, it may be that the law is arbitrary based on the whims of the, the dictator on any given one day, uh, but there, there, there is still a sort of politics operating. Uh, why, where does that come from, and, and why do you exclude that? Well, <clears throat> I distinguish between the political the sub-political and the trans-political. Uh, the the trans-political are those truths that transcend particular uh, political arrangements, uh, particular cities, particular countries, things that are true at all times and all places. And healthy politics has reference. The, the healthy politics of particular places has reference to and is informed by those trans-political truths, what justice is, what human nature is and its flourishing. And the sub-political is what is about me, my particular needs or my particular demands. Uh, so uh, the economic, me, my lunch, and I. When I eat my lunch, when I pursue my lunch, uh, this is an economic act. It's sub-political. Uh, when I, when I uh, buy a, a combine harvester, Right. That's 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 economic. If I buy you and put you to work on my farm uh, and make and subordinate you to me, that is an economic relationship. When Kim Jong Un or Saddam Hussein or whoever puts him uh, gains a monopoly on the course of the, the uh, of co on course of power and then makes everyone else work for his glory, for his caviar for his whatever, uh, as mere instruments for his selfish gain, his selfish pleasures, whatever, that's an economic relationship. We talk about it broadly as, as political because he owns a country. Um, maybe there's jockeying for power, but it's sub-political because it's selfish. And, and here I'm just following Aristotle uh, in the politics, but also Genesis, which talks about the creation mandate and tells everyone individually, uh, as human beings, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and, and rule it, have dominion over it. And that dominion begins with oneself. You have a sphere. Every one of us has a sphere of responsibility. It may be president. It may be borough chief. It may be um, accounts payable. It may be my little brood in my home and trying to get them from childhood to adulthood as mom. Uh, we, we, we each have a sphere of responsibility, and, and exercising godly responsibility within that sphere is obedience to the creation mandate. And that's where authority begins. And so the, when we come to the political arrangement, I don't see any – and I have a chapter on authority, you'll notice – the basic question, if we're all equal in the image of God, what gives any person the authority, the moral right to tell anyone else what to do? Well, politically, it's it's we all have authority from God to exercise authority over our spheres uh, in obedience to the creation mandate. And so when it comes to the political arrangement, we somebody has a right to govern us when we give our consent, and that's a political act as opposed to being conquered by, uh, you know, somebody who storms into our village and says, bow to me, right? <laughs> that's just economic. You're now my instruments. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, I, I guess I, I certainly see that there is a, a political or an economic aspect to that. Uh, again, economics sort of broadly understood. Yes. Uh, I'm 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 curious as to why we can't just say that's that's politics, but a a fallen politics, right? Twisting of politics or bad politics, right? Politics influenced by the fall is when someone points a gun at me and says, "Now you're my slave," right? Yeah. Uh, not 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 politics, but maybe not politics the way it was intended to be. Uh, why 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 does this term matter? Oh, again, I, I go back to Aristotle with his six regimes: the three deviant and three correct. And, and when I say Aristotle, I'm talking about general revelation. Uh, here's, here's somebody who is, by God's grace, uh, remarkably intelligent, remarkably uh, uh, observant and analytical about the world that we all have access to. And he said, 
uh, uh, government is either by the one, the few, or the many, and it's either for the common good or selfish advantage. And government by one person for selfish advantage is what he called tyranny. He says, okay, tyranny is one of the six political regimes, but he qualified that and said, in a way, it's no regime at all. It's, 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 it's slavery. So he counted it as one of the regimes, the political regimes, but admitted that it's, it's, it's so deviant that it can hardly be called, properly speaking, it can't be called a regime, thus can't be called political at all. So I, I, I follow him on that. And so there's a sense, I mean, there's always a sense in which, I mean, you know this, is this so? Well, it depends. There's a sense in which yes, and there's a sense in which no, and these senses have to be respected by the wise. So there's a sense in which, yeah, this is, this is politics, uh, politics gone terribly wrong, politics in extremely unhealthy form. Um, uh, so there's a sense in which it is, but there's an important sense in which it is not, and, and not to recognize that sense is to uh, isolate yourself from, from an important uh, point of wisdom. Um, in other words, uh, let's recognize that this is a form of slavery and address it like that. Once you see it that way, and then, then you're able to see, okay, the administrative state where there's really no popular accountability and we're all just administered the way children are administered, who just don't know any better, uh, who are governed by technocrats, experts who are betters, who know. Uh, then you realize – and then if, when, once you realize that they all have selfish interests as well, they are not f- so many philosopher kings, then you realize, okay, this is also a kind of – Slavery. We just have more slavers. Uh, I'm not free. This isn't really political, and you can understand it in that way. Of course, it's it's a country. There are laws, and so forth. Uh, maybe there are elections too, but uh, it helps us understand uh, the unwisdom, or shall I say, folly, of of some arrangements over others. Some are more political than others. Some are more respectful of a of us as image bearers uh, for God's purposes uh, than others. And then you can navigate these questions. Who in the news is right? Who is writer? <laughs> um, and it helps you understand these things and get and, and cut through the shouting and the name calling. And, and maybe you can, you can help us with that a little bit. Uh, if we, uh, we can, we can understand better why, why some regimes, or put into one category and others in another category. Uh, if we understand what government is for, exactly, what's what's the purpose of it? So can you can you talk to us a little bit about what what is the point of government? It was in the process of writing this book that I sharpened my understanding of it because it forces you to put things together in a coherent way. So I start with creation, fall, and redemption, a strong doctrine of creation. God created the world. God is sovereign. He's king. It's his world to do with as he pleases and what he pleases, uh, what pleases him is good. And he made us in his image to be righteous and to rule and gave us the creation mandate uh, to have dominion over the earth. And that's not just about agriculture. That's a- about the intellectual sphere. It's about culture. It's about it's about unpacking the fullness of his creation in all its glory and 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 blessing. Okay? Once you start with that, then you can't understand the purpose of government aside from that, because that's the purpose of everything for human beings and what human beings are. So uh, government is is for helping us, especially since the fall, to for enabling us, helping us fulfill our calling as human beings. There's some things we can do on our own. There's some things we can do in association with other people. But there's some things we need government to do. So even just as created beings, we need government to uh, you know, build roads and bridges and, and, and dams and, and uh, provide an int- infrastructure of laws and 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 so forth. What side of the road shall we drive on? These things need to be decided. But then especially as fallen beings, we need to be protected. We need to be if we're going to be 
dominion takers. If we're going to be fulfilling God's calling for us as human beings, we need protection from other human beings. We need protection uh, from other nations of human beings. Keep the Canadians on their side of the border well behaved, right? Um, Build that wall. Build that. Yes. <laughs> and and um, also keep us uh, keep us safe from government itself. Limited government that stays within its boundaries. So, but but why is government doing this to enable us to? What does it say in in um, in Second Timothy uh, two fourteen? Pray for or for kings and all those in authorities, so that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives in all dignity and godliness. Godliness and dignity. So government. Pray that government would do its job and only its job, and doing that, we will be free to go about our legitimate godly business, taking dominion according to our our uh, creation calling. So, uh, so buying and selling, marrying and and worshiping, um, forming friendships, uh, uh, helping one another, beautifying, showing mercy. Uh, and it takes help for that, and uh, particularly since the fall, and, and it's government's place to do that. When government loses sight of that and says, well, uh, if something needs doing, the government should do it. And you hear this a lot. Oh, look at this sad story over here. The government should do something about it. Well, maybe not, uh, especially the federal government, and, and because they like to do everything because it's power and larger budgets and glory and their flesh the way we are. And subject to the same temptations. And so you have to be very clear on what the purpose of government is. If you, I don't know if you've ever worked in construction or if you have a home. I guess if you have a home, you've worked in construction. Uh, the, <laughs> well, I have a home, but I didn't build it myself. <laughs> I mean, you, you know tools. Right. If you use a tool for what is not intended for, you will hurt people and break things. You don't use a screwdriver to pick your teeth. You'll break your teeth. It's not what it's for, right? And it's the same with government as a tool. If you misuse it, uh, contrary to its created purpose, you will hurt people and break things. So I, I think uh, I think at, at this up to, up until this point, I think basically any sort of traditionally orthodox Christian is is going to be on on board with uh, uh, with with what you're saying. Um, but some of the applications that you make in the book, I suspect you will get pushback on. Uh, so, for example, one one of the arguments you make is that it's the function of government uh, to protect pro, uh, protect producers and what they produce. Uh, so this is out of your book. Uh, you say when government oh, views sure. its task as being to redistribute wealth for the sake of fairness, this is ungodly uh, and contrary to government's divine calling. Uh, now, I... I I, I agree with you for whatever that's worth on on the practical side of that. Yeah. I, I think the government doesn't do its job well when it has its primary goal as redistributing wealth in the name of justice. But I, I don't know that I can make that a biblical argument and say that it's not allowed. Uh, so if if I'm a uh, if I'm a theologically orthodox Christian, traditionally orthodox Christian, uh, and a democratic socialist. And I, I think I can also find some biblical ground to stand on there and say, well, yeah, look, creation mandate, government's there to help us flourish. Uh, and the best way it can do that is by organizing us and, and redistributing wealth so that it's not all lumped up in these mega corporations. Right. So that it, in, instead it's 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 spread out among society so that we can we can all economically flourish. And, and, and here are my proof texts for that out of, out of Scripture, which, again, I would I would say that 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 argument is also a misuse. Of scripture, and I would say what we're really having is a, a practical disagreement over what the best way to do that is. But uh, uh, can you can you tell us a little bit why, uh, what what specifically you think the functions of government are uh, that help us flourish best? So again, using the example used use in the book of of uh, protecting our you know what we make, but you use other examples also. So maybe give us a couple of those, and then uh, can you talk a little bit about why you why you go that direction? Yeah, the uh, the the when it comes to the application, um, yeah, there are a lot of po books on politics, Christian politics, which have a chapter on theory and then various chapters on application, your policy hot button issues. Uh, that is not this book. 
this is the, the authority of government, the purpose of government, the, 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 the problem of government and the practice of government, uh, st- statesmanship. Right. And, uh, and, and I say right in the book that when it comes to ap- applying these principles, people of, of goodwill can disagree. But that involves conversation, uh, agreeing on the principles and then applying the principles. So, so I welcome any any uh, any uh, agreement on that. I'm sorry, uh, conversation on that, or it sometimes goes by the word pushback. <laughs> but um, so, but uh, in the in the in the chapter on property, I talk about you know thou shalt not steal. Uh, and, and bring it back to the creation mandate. If if we are going to be um, free to pursue the creation mandate and, and bring out of God's creation its fullest potential uh, by, in, by agriculture, invention, discovery, uh, intellectual pursuit, uh, cultural development, whatever, uh, we need security in our property. And I'm not a Lockean, but uh, Locke, uh, John Locke makes this argument very strongly in the second treatise, that when you secure people in their property, they have an incentive to take what is potential and make it a thousandfold. And this is what we've seen in uh, the, the modern economy. And this is what we've seen in the last 20 or 40 years in the world economy, in the global economy, as uh, property protections and, and market uh, market protections have spread across the globe, particularly China and India and so forth. Um, starvation has become a, has become something you uh, that is only politically engineered these days, and um, uh, poverty is 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 all but uh, eliminated. Uh, it's just been remarkable. But anyway, the um, there are two ways of, of of getting things: production and plunder. Uh, you can steal things. Uh, teenagers know this. Why should I work for this? I can just steal. And if I get away with it, and every thief thinks he will, um, I can just take it. Hey, I'm up. But um, redistribution of wealth, I argue in the book, is essentially that. Some people get control of the coercive power of government and say, you have too much. We'll have some of yours. And then it's redistributed. Um, it's a, a disincentive uh, to work. It's it's uh, basically plunder. And there are other ways of helping people in desperate situations. Often it's because there's a, maybe a monopoly needs to be broken up. Uh, maybe there are um, there is a collusion between large corporations and government uh, when they find out they're good for each other. And that need that is 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 disturbing the created order uh, and and uh, so sometimes what goes by a, f- a free market and and, and rec- in the book I recognize there are limits to the free market uh, like Michael Sandel's book for example hmm. um, uh, what what money can't buy excellent book well. excellent book yes um, so uh, but but uh, uh, we need to dig more honestly and deeply into what those those perverse disruptions are. What what is really holding people back from their their potential as image bearers? Because we are all bearers called to take dominion over the earth, and we have various gifts, and everyone has those gifts and that potential. Everyone has the potential to contribute to the common good economically and otherwise, and it's just a matter of freeing them from whatever shackles are holding them back. And that's what I want to promote with my book. Yeah, and, and I think this is a, a good place to jump into talking about rights, uh, because, of course, property is, is just one version of uh, a list of, you have what, three, two, three chapters on rights, each of which has a, a couple of them uh, in, in its umbrella. Uh, and, and really, this is the place where, where I think small, small L liberal uh, theorists of all sorts, but uh, Christian theorists, I think uh, we, we tend to especially struggle with this, um, because our, our options seem to be either grounding these rights in Scripture, uh, which... Uh, for for reasons that I will I will mention in just a second because I I, I really want to hear what you have to say about this. Uh, uh, we we can ground our rights in Scripture based on I think highly questionable exegesis, uh, or just conclude with the culture that that rights are mere will to power. Uh, yeah. 
so so you argue uh, that that uh, all authority comes from God, which again I think we, we any Christian is going to agree, agree with, and that, that government is God's servant to do good, which again is uh, pretty straightforward biblically true. Uh, but then you, uh, you you argue that the good which government is to do, and this is. Uh, page 147, is to secure our liberty, our lives, and property uh, and the conditions for moral and spiritual well-being. And again, here, were I of a different political persuasion than I am, uh, I might reply, actually, our good that the government is to preserve is, you know, communal ownership and living, and our our rights are our rights only to equality. Uh, And I think think my, my my hesitation here uh, is that scripture tends not to talk about rights as, as you point out, it talks about obligations, mm-hmm. right? Uh, without corresponding rights being mentioned. So the, the Bible says, I am obligated to love my neighbor. Uh, it never says I have a right to be loved by my neighbor. Uh, and, and I'm just sort of curious, can you, can you tell us uh, where, where you see rights and, and how you're building this argument? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, there, there, well, just earlier said you talked about communal living, and communal living involves more than just securing your body and property. It involves a moral dimension. Everyone, everyone knows this, but I don't think they think think about it. Um, but uh, right, yeah, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. If God tells you to love your neighbor, your neighbor, in a way, has a right to your love. Uh, Chrysostom, I mentioned in the book, Chrysostom says this, but like, I, I owe my neighbor love, my neighbor who is starving. So my neighbor has a right to the money in my pocket. And and there's, in a sense, that is true, right? Uh, but as a moral right, not all moral rights are uh, can take the form of political rights. Not all moral rights are enforceable through law. Uh, for example, uh, uh, you have a I I I'm a, I, uh, I have an obligation to gratitude. Uh, you you know that you have an oblig you, you have a right to my gratitude. If 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 if, uh, if you hold a door open for me as a stranger, and I walk through and I don't say thank you, you feel hurt. You feel denied something. What? What am I, your doorman? Why didn't you? Shouldn't you say thank you? You have a right to it, but you can't enforce that by law. Otherwise, it disappears. Uh, it would involve a, a, a totalitarian state, and no gratitude would be recognized as gratitude anymore. So Nicholas Walterstorff, in his book Justice, Rights, and Wrongs, makes a, a an extensive argument for rights, but the, he doesn't get beyond moral rights. You know, not legally enforceable political rights. So uh, I, I tried to think that through in terms of what is what is there. Well, uh, it's bothered me for years since I was an undergraduate, which was not yesterday. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about rights. So are rights a Christian thing? And the more I've studied politics and more my, my experience in politics, I've come to realize they are Tocqueville is right. They are a noble and ennobling thing. And and really, in the world in which we live, there is no alternative. Uh, maybe you can construct a city in speech, <laughs> a, a, an imaginary city in which uh, you can imagine a, a world in which the, the concept wasn't there. But not today, bub. Uh, it's not going to work. So how do I love my neighbor today? Is there any grounding for rights in the Bible? And uh, I explore various uh, you know, options that are proposed but uh, and find them wanting. But... What I find uh, convincing is if God made government, he made it for a purpose and provided us with government to serve us on his behalf, then we have a right to that service. The same way you have a right, uh, if the government provides you with a service, you have a right to that. Uh, uh, and no, no government agent can blow you off. You have a right. Why? Because the higher authority has provided uh, that service for you. The highest authority has provided the service of government, which has specific purposes for us. And so we can argue for certain rights. I have the right to be protected in my property. I have the right to uh, um, worship God as I please. I have the right. Uh, and some of those rights are, are not, uh, what's the word, justiciable. Um, I have the right to a, a morally unpolluted neighborhood. Well, it's hard to bring a suit on that basis. 
so some of them are are, are, are are can be put clearly into law where you can sue if you don't get it and some can't. It depends on the nature of law and the nature of the thing we're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not, I think, that anyone is going to disagree uh, that if government is obligated to do something, right, yeah. then it's obligated to do something, then, then there is a some kind of corresponding right. But to, to say, and that thing it's obligated to do is to protect life, liberty, and property, yeah. as opposed to that thing it's obligated to do is to promote equality. Yeah, uh, which is the you know the uh, uh, the popular cause today. So that's that's yeah. why I keep using that as an example. Yeah. Um, if if I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter and I'm reading reading my Bible, I'm gonna say, ah, the right we all have uh, claim on is equality, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's where I'm hesitant, yeah. I guess, to say, yeah, uh, Bernie is wrong or the Bernie's guy is wrong, uh, and the the traditional classical liberal is right. Um, yeah, and, and you would hope you could talk to somebody, a sober individual, who could uh, respond um, uh, cheerfully uh, on the question of, well, what do you mean by equality, and not suspect right. you as just being a fascist by asking the question. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, do you mean equality of condition? Uh, how is that a biblical thing? How is that even possible without tyranny? Do you mean equality of opportunity? Opportunity for what? Uh, but certainly opportunity, uh, uh, equal respect as, as, as people of infinite value, um, uh, and how does that play itself out? So there's what people mean by equality uh, has, uh, can be more or less true. But um, my concern in the in the rights question, well, what, what is your problem in this? So, I mean, we have rights. We this country was founded on a doctrine of rights. What's your problem? Well, the way it's playing itself out is when you when you restrict rights to the right simply to uh, security in your life and property, and beyond that, you can do what you please. That entails a perverse. Um, Philosophical anthropology. So uh, uh, freedom then is just doing whatever you please, so long as you don't uh, t- uh, pick anyone's pocket or 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 punch anyone in the nose. Um, just today in the news, I saw a story about a woman who is objectum sexual. She is she's British. That's not important. And she is going to marry a 91-year-old chandelier. For I saw she, that story. Yeah, how yeah. to miss it? For which she has a fetish, uh, and love just keeps winning and winning, as Rod Dreher recently said. Uh, <laughs> but you know, who's to say? If I mean, she's not she's not picking anyone's pocket. She's not harming anyone. Um, who's to say what marriage, what love uh, is, and, and so forth and so on? And we go down the rabbit hole. Uh, this is this is where I argue the extremely restrictive uh, individualistic Lockean understanding of individual rights has taken us. Um, the sexual revolution. Uh, try that again. The sexual revolution of the 1960s, uh, an understanding of individualism as human autonomy, understood as there is no God. I'm. I have God's sovereignty. I am self-creating. I am self-determining. Uh, how dare you question it, uh, you fascist? So, uh, and on it goes. So there, there's an. And I'm not the only one thinking about. If this is where it's going, where did the ter- wrong turn go? And, and, and if rights are a good thing, and this is where this conception of rights leads, um, as Christian culture evaporates, how can it be more? Was it a biblical foundation in the first place? If something isn't biblically found, that it's going to have destructive tendencies. So is there a more biblical foundation? And this is my contribution. Uh, well, let's. Uh, uh, unless you have something else to to uh, mention on rights, I'd like to switch over to structures. Um, I'm all ears. So, uh, so this this book is uh, is is pretty unashamedly pro-liberal democracy, uh, and and pro-small R Republican. Um, yeah. Uh, as as with rights, uh, I like to think that I am uh, in favor of both of those things also. Uh, but again, I want to I want to push back a little bit and say I'm I'm not sold that the Bible is uh, in in favor for or against either of those things. Um, uh, and and you even uh, uh, 
point out as your example of what good Republican government should look like, uh, Israel's kingship. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I, uh, I'm I'm hesitant as to whether or not the the monarchy is in fact a model for a republic, uh, and uh, whether that's really what that's talking about. Um, and uh, this this uh, this again is 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 uh, I think a a point where I'd, I'd like to hear a little more of of how you came to this. You say on on page one thirty four. Uh, uh, in the chapter, uh, this is the problem of government and a Christian response. Uh, you you outline some of the uh, the obvious political advances uh, made by the secular age, particularly in the area of uh, uh, republicanism. Uh, and then you say, uh, this is a quote: uh, "These innovations, if they are good, are from God, uh, and as such, can be regrounded on Christian principles and preserved. Uh, there must be a way of understanding them that honors God according to all that He has revealed of Himself. Such an understanding would be a Christian alternative that is specifically modern, not because it departs from what is simply Christian, but because it builds on modern political insights." Yeah. Now. That sounds to me an awful lot like what's going on here is is something uh, to the order of first there's a secular innovation, second Christians see the innovation as a good thing, third Christians read the innovation back into the Bible. Uh, where, where am I misunderstanding? Okay, here? yeah, it's um, the the Lord humbles us. Uh, it, it wouldn't it be again simple if all the insights came from Christians and non Christians. <laughs> They just need to listen up. It's interesting in, in, in Genesis chapter four, I believe it is, um, you've got all these children of Cain going out there inventing metallurgy and music and all these wonderful things. Even that megalomaniac uh, um, uh, 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 Lamech was a poet, um, fine poet, but uh, bad neighbor. So <laughs> the uh, – and – the Lord humbles us by putting some of the most helpful insights into the mouths and minds of people who think the least of him. And, and I argue in the book that the people who uh, spearheaded the modern political project, which has had marvelous benefits in political decency, as well as, you know, technological advances. I've got a book on Francis Bacon coming out later in the year, which talks about Bacon, a very ungodly man, anti-God man, and yet uh, the technological wonders that came from that. So, uh, uh, and, and we learn from them. And it took, well, who is it? Bal- Balak learned from uh, from the mouth of an ass, right? Uh, right. Balaam. 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 Yeah, yeah, Balaam. Yeah, Balaam learned from the, the mouth of his ass. Um, the uh, brought us to our. I argue that, that these people brought us to our senses. They saw things we hadn't seen for whatever reason, but uh, they they thought those things were sufficient and good in a way that they aren't actually good. We can see the limits of those things in a way that they couldn't. Um, how they're idolatrous. How they they capture part of the picture, but not the whole picture. C.S. Lewis argues for this in The Abolition of Man. They leave off an important dimension of what it is, what human flourishing is. And so it sickens and sours. Um, so, so as I said, as you read, if, if, this is, if this is good, where in the Bible have we missed it? And then I go looking for it. Uh, sometimes it, well, we used to think the Bible taught that the, the um, sun went around the earth. And then science told us, scientists who weren't necessarily godly people, they were just looking at the world intelligently, and they found that uh, some of them were godly. And no, the earth goes around the sun. And then we, okay, let's look back at the Bible. Is the Bible wrong? We look back at the Bible. No, we were reading it wrong. And a cynical view might be, ah, you're just reading it back in. You're saving the Bible. <laughs> but in fact, you know, we're we're always learning Um how better to read the Bible. Even in the 20th century, we, we learned about uh, a suzerain treaties and, and how, how that sheds light on, on what was going on in, in, uh, in, in Genesis, uh, Meredith Klein and so forth. Uh, right. I, I really like those things. And that's very helpful. That was the 20th century, for goodness sakes, <laughs> 2,000 years later. <laughs> but yeah, we're still learning, which doesn't mean we're so much cleverer than everyone else. You have to learn from the past. Uh, there's a great repository of win- wisdom there, as I'm sure you would agree. But uh, but wisdom has not been exhausted, and insight has not been exhausted. 
and uh, we've learned a lot in the past 500 years and so um, we uh, we read the Bible ourselves and the world humbly but do we uh, do do we need to do we need to find this in the Bible or, or can we say look the the Bible equips Christians to live under any government right regardless of whether it's a, a tyranny or a democracy or whatever uh, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't equip us to identify the best government and pursue that uh, it equips us to live faithfully wherever we find ourselves at any time in any place uh, it teaches us to submit whether you're living in you know the uh, the, the the slave society of uh, of uh, you know uh, ancient ancient Persia when the, the gospel gets there in the 300s or the uh, uh, the, the modern uh, Republic of the United States the the Bible instructs in both cases without saying in either case this is the kind of government you should be living under yes and and in most times in most places people are living under horrible governments and they need good counsel uh, for that and this is why paul is writing to the romans uh giving them counsel on how to live a godly life under a, a really horrible government but uh, so that is important and no small thing. At the same time, if we're going to distinguish between just and unjust governments, better and worse governments, it's possible, therefore, to think on a theoretical and a theological level as to, well, what is justice and, and what form does it take when government is is structured properly, behaving properly. God, after all, loves justice, and he's going to bring nations into judgment for being unjust. And and he, he has sharp words for pagan governments in the prophets who are oppressing their people, not just because they don't worship him, but because they're wicked and selfish. So it is possible to use God's reason to reflect upon God's world uh, and God's word, and come to reasonable conclusions about what just government is. Because when we are free and able to choose our own government, we need guidance as to, okay, well then, how then shall we live together? What what form should our regime take? What is a just form of government? What is a prudent form of government? So in the Declaration of Independence, which is not inspired, but uh, not bad for uninspired, right, uh, says, uh, you know, um, you know, it is the right of the people to construct their government in whatever way they think is useful to provide good government. And there's an understanding of what good government is there, like protecting them and their life, liberty and and a healthy community. So um, we can't escape the obligation of thinking about what justice is and of what a just life together looks like. And then once the power, when with blessing, the power is in our hands together uh, to move our common life closer to that rather than further away from it. That's a kind of loving your neighbor and your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Well, I think that's a that's a good place to to springboard into my last question, okay. uh, and this is uh, my uh, this is me asking from my kind of mildly Augustinian slash two kingdoms perspective on on government here. Uh, it's it, it's in some in some places, uh, and I, I think this is kind of getting at the the core of of what you're doing uh, in in the book. Um, in some places, especially in the city of man, city of God distinction, uh, and I'm, I'm looking especially at, at page 80 if, if you need that, um, uh, you seem to want to put the city of man in the service of the city of God. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure that's something that can happen uh, or that we're encouraged to make happen sort of outside of normal uh, everyday living this side of the eschaton. Mm-hmm. Uh, am, am I misreading you on this? Well, uh, so like when you talk about Sabbath laws, when you talk about yeah. uh, uh, promoting certain things, I, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to dig too deep and get hung up on any example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just let me know if I've gone wrong. Well, uh, I mean, Romans 13.4 says, and it's the center of the passage, um, that locus classicus of the Bible's teaching on politics, 
um, government is God's servant for our good. So God wants to put government into this into his service, right? Cyrus, my servant, he said, right? Um, Jesus, uh, to Pilate, you would have no authority if it hadn't come to you from beyond. So um, the I wouldn't call that putting the city of man into the service of the city of God. The, the two cities are, are mutually exclusive and are defined by different loves. It's not like uh, the structures of, of government and natural society, that's the city of man. Um, that's a, 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 a common misconception. But um, but they are they are God's servants for for our good and our good as God understands it. And then Psalm two, he says to all the kings of the earth, kiss the sun. Right. He expects them to recognize and put themselves into the service of the risen Christ, the Messiah. So, you know, I just I just send us all there and and go from that starting point. Um, politics is something like every sphere of life that can be redeemed. That is, and by that I mean, uh, can be done righteously, uh, can be brought into um, godly use. I mean, I mean, we pray for the conversion of the nations, right? We pray for the conversion of our neighbors. Uh, we pray for revival so that the you know, knowledge of the of the glory of God would cover America like or whatever our country is, like the waters cover the sea. Well, what does what does the world look like when that happens? Yeah. The people govern themselves, and they put the government to godly purposes. So, it, and and it'd be hard for them not to. So this is uh, this would uh, this is what I would say in defense. In pushback. <laughs> no, no, in conversation. In conversation. Hey, pushback is great. Um, it is a conversation. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's one I'm thoroughly enjoying for whatever that's worth. Uh, well, let's uh, let's let's close it out uh, with uh, with uh, another softball. Uh, you uh, you end the book and you begin our conversation uh, by by talking about government as you know uh, citizens ruling over citizens in turn, uh, and you you end the book talking about citizenship as friendship, which again is a very Aristotelian place to go. Civic friendship, yes. How uh, how can I be friends with 330 million people? Well, you can't, of course, in a way, um, but uh, it's 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 civic friendship. It's friendship in an attenuated way, but in like like it, Facebook. Oh, better than that, I hope. <laughs> People say horrible things to each other on Facebook, <laughs> and which leads to unfriending. But um, but even that's a recognition of how friends should deal with each other. I mean, you you in your own community. If it's a real community, you walk down the street and you make eye contact and you say good morning and, and you, you treat you greet people, you receive people on the assumption that they're friends and not muggers. Right. And so that's it. And, and then your neighbors uh, on either side of your house even more closely. You know, they if if if. Uh, our neighbor, her her son stepped on a nail. He's just a little boy. Well, of course, my my wife heard the scream. She was over there and she went to the hospital with them. We don't have much to do with them, but they're neighbors, right? So there's a kind of friendship there, more attenuated to the people in the whole town. But even in the people in the whole country, there's a kind of fellow feeling with just fellow Americans, so that when you're in another country, let's say uh, uh, Argentina or Albania, and you see another American, uh, um, a flag on the backpack, or you hear the person talking, and you, you light up, hey, you're an American, I am too, and there's immediately a fellow feeling, there's immediately identification, like your old friends, and you might go to coffee, or go for ouzo with each other, or whatever, and um, catch up. Uh, it doesn't take anything more. Like if, but whereas if somebody's from France, you don't feel that. Um, so, so in that sense, there's a civic friend. I will stick by you, as my fellow American. I've got your back. I will come to your defense. This is why people die in battle for their country. They're dying for their fellow countrymen, so their fellow countrymen can be free. If that isn't friendship, 
what is. So that's a particularly dramatic expression of that civic friendship. And 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 the, the better we understand our, our relationship as our civic relationship as civic friendship, and I'm just reading what's out there. I'm not inventing anything. Uh, the 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 better it trains us, teaches us in how we ought to speak to one another, treat one another in policy terms, in policy discussion terms. Civic hashtag civic friendship. Go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, it's our practice here on uh, Christian Humanist Profiles to give the guests the last word. Uh, so anything you would like our listeners to know about uh, your book, about politics, uh, about friendship, uh, anything you like, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Okay. The, uh, the Lord says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's all about love. We're made in the image of a God who is loved because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving each other in one being. Uh, the summary of the law is is love your neighbors as you love yourself and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor is difficult because your neighbor is often not very lovely. And that begins with me and you, right? Um, the and, and it's often uh, difficult to know how to love my neighbor because I, I, I don't know, the, I want to bless my neighbor, but I don't know the means. And the civic relationship is a way in which we can love our neighbor um, through policy, through through uh, mutual respect, and so forth. I hope that my book, in very confused times that are getting more and more confusing, uh, sheds helpful light on how I can love my my neighbors in Christ, my my neighbors who are strangers to Christ, even strangers to me. How we can love one another as fellow citizens um, with 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 everything God's revealed about himself, us and our world. And if I can do that, uh, my time will not have been wasted. Well, uh, thank you again, Dr. Innes, for joining us on uh, Christian Humanist Profiles. And thank you, listeners, for joining us as well. If you have comments or questions, please feel free to post them on the show notes at christianhumanist.com. Send an email to thechristianhumanist at gmail.com or comment on the Facebook page. Uh, and be sure to pick up a copy of Christ in the Kingdoms of Men from PNR Press. Uh, Christian Humanist Profiles is a program on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Filippic. Our audio editor is Britt Stack. And be listening for the next episode of Christian Humanist Profiles. <laughs>